Friends, let's open in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. You'll remember as we're studying the book of 1 Samuel that what I'm going to read today brings us into the story where Hannah has prayed for possibly 10 to 20 years that God will heal her barrenness and give her a son, and if he will, she will lend him to the Lord. She will put Samuel in the service of the Lord, and that's happened. Samuel's been born, he's been weaned, she brings him to the tabernacle, and here in this scene, she has handed her one and only son over to the priest Eli, and then she sings this song that we're going to read this morning. Hear now from God's word in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly, not, let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Let's pray together. Lord, we tremble this morning to stand in your presence. You are the God who has laid the world on its foundations. You stand above all things, but you desire to make all things new. You desire to see this great role reversal to bring the high low and the low high, and you promise to do this in your son Jesus. May we read today in hope that you are the God who can accomplish all things, that in Christ your yes is yes and amen. Do that in our midst, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Hannah this morning when she prays this prayer, sings this song, she's speaking about this role reversal that John began talking about in our passage last week. And in doing so, by painting this picture, she really gives us a grid by which we can see the world. Look at verses 4 through 5. This is what she means. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. So we're saying that the mighty, those with full bellies, those with many children are brought low, while those who are feeble and hungry and barren, they're the ones that are being lifted up. Verses 6 through 8 says much of the same thing, that the Lord holds life and wealth and honor, and those who have it now will lose it, and those who don't have it will gain it. 
what we're talking about now, this idea of role reversals, of bringing to those who don't have and taking from those who have, is a massive theme that runs throughout all of Scripture. And it's probably most memorably spoken to us on the lips of Jesus in the Beatitudes. Listen to the Beatitudes according to Luke. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Isn't it interesting that as human beings, we are hardwired for role reversals? We we celebrate these things. We love these things. Everybody enjoys seeing a role reversal. Every one of us is cheering for the Delavadovas that come off the bench in the NBA Finals as the lowest paid player, and they score 20 points. That's fantastic. We all cheer for them. We love Cinderella stories because we actually literally love the Cinderella story. I get Cinderella confused with Snow White, and so I had to freshen up on the details. But in doing so, I read on Wikipedia that the name Cinderella comes from the original Italian telling of the story, and it's related to the word ash. It's such a visible depiction of this servant girl who herself is constantly soiled and dirty as she cleans, and then against all odds, a prince chooses her, and she's wed, and she'll ultimately become queen of this great kingdom and live happily ever after. That's fantastic. Every single person who reads that story says, that's wonderful, I'm cheering for Cinderella. Nobody picks up the Cinderella story and says, you know, I really think the prince should have chosen one of those fat-footed stepsisters. Nobody reads it that way. We're all hardwired to cheer for that great end. You know, actually, in the German retelling of that story, according to the Grimm brothers, the eldest stepsister is so desperate to have this slipper fit on her foot that she cuts off her toes to do it. I'm not sure why Disney omitted that in their telling of the story, but it just heightens our sense of justice, right? We hunger for justice to be shown, and it kind of shows within all of us that we want this to happen. So when we come to a song or a prayer like Hannah's, we don't need convincing that role reversals are fantastic. We already agree with that. We're already wired to cheer for that. But if we really want to take this song to heart, if we really want to pray it back to God, if we want to use it and to think about the world through this lens, we're going to have to define precisely what we mean by this. Hannah says, for example, in verse 5, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. What does she mean precisely by that? Because our Bibles speak about spiritual and physical hunger. And our Bibles also speak about spiritual and physical fullness. So does she mean the one or the other, or is there some mysterious way in which she means both? What is Hannah talking about? Well, I want to give us this morning three ways to interpret a song like Hannah's. And like any good preacher, the correct interpretation is number three. But I think all of us are going to see similarities in the first two with our own theologies and how we think and how we interpret Scripture. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the relationship between spiritual truths and physical realities. How are those two things related and how do we think about them? And then how do we read a passage like this? The first wrong interpretation is this. Spiritual truths are physical realities. These two things, what is spiritually true 
is a physical reality. They are one in the same. Whatever is true of us spiritually will ultimately in this life become true of us physically. So if spiritually speaking, Jesus is the bread of life who fills our spiritual bellies, we can expect as Christians to have physically full bellies. And if Jesus is the one who makes us rich in salvation, then we can claim in faith that he will also make us rich in assets too, because these things are one and the same. What happens in the spiritual world is going to happen in the physical world. Now, this interpretation, this way of theologizing, often is attributed to liberalism and to liberation theology and to some but not all strands of charismatic healing circles and certainly above all to the health and wealth gospel, understanding these things as one and the same. Now, all of us understand, because I said it, that this is the wrong interpretation. Nobody's going to sit down in life group this evening and say, you know what, I'm going to stick with interpretation number one. That sounds good to me. We know that's the wrong answer, but every single Christian in this room has flirted with the idea that the spiritual is the physical. Every single one of us has imagined that if God loves us and saves our souls, surely surely we will see that played out in our physical bodies too. If God loves me, surely he will protect me, right? If God provides so rich a salvation, if he did not spare his only son, then surely he will provide for me in other ways too. A home, a family, a spouse, health, finances, healing. Surely he will provide for me in these ways. Now, the problem with that interpretation, with saying that the spiritual will become the physical in this life, is the second we begin thinking that way, biblical narrative begins to run sideways on us. There are so many examples in Scripture where two men of faith who appear identical to us have opposite experiences, where one prospers and another falters. Think about all the examples. There are too many to mention, but the prophet Elijah, who comes to us in Kings, he doesn't die, but he's taken up to heaven. Meanwhile, the prophet Elisha, who inherits his mantle and a double portion of his spirit, he ends up dying of sickness. The Nazarite Samuel, who we're going to read about, he lives out his life and dies of old age. Meanwhile, the Nazarite John the Baptist dies young by beheading. The apostle John, He lives out his natural life on the island of Patmos with visions of the new heavens and the new earth in his mind as he pens revelations. But the apostle Peter, also in Jesus's inner circle, he will die in agony, being crucified upside down, and the last picture he will ever see are the boots of his executioners. Think about King David, who cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God appears to him, and saves him. But then think about King Jesus, who who prays that exact same prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God literally, physically forsakes him on the cross. The moment you try to pull these two things together and say whatever happens in the spiritual world has to manifest itself in the physical world, you need to go back to these narratives and find something wrong spiritually with Elisha, John the Baptist, Peter, and Jesus because in their physical life they faltered and they failed and bad things happened to them. That's not going to work in the way we interpret our Bibles. 
I think one of the toughest lessons in the Christian life to learn is that God is not a talisman who will bend himself to my will. I can apply in my Christian life every ounce of passive aggressiveness and say, if you really loved me, God, you would do this. If you really, truly saw me and heard my prayers and cared about me, you would do this one thing for me and be met with a stark sovereignty that makes me tremble. I have no claim on myself or my life or my family, and what happens to us, as was so evidently seen in Charleston this week, and that scares me about the kind of God we serve. But here's a word of encouragement that might sound like a backhanded encouragement in this context, and that is this. If the physical and the spiritual are not one and the same, you and I as born-again believers, we can suffer going forward from here in ways we could never imagine, And with eyes of faith and with the Spirit's indwelling, we can understand that God's love for us has not changed one iota. That is the biblical truth. Physical realities, spiritual truths, they are not one and the same. So let's think about a second interpretation. If they're not one and the same, could they be opposed or completely different for one another? Number two, spiritual truths are unrelated to physical realities. If they're not the same, maybe they're completely and entirely different. So this would be like an ultra-conservative approach that says what happens in the spiritual world is completely and totally unrelated to what happens in the physical world. So when Hannah says that the hungry have ceased to hunger, she means that the spiritually hungry are spiritually full, but that has nothing to do with our bodies. Whether we starve or are full, that's all just a coincidence for what's happening in the spiritual world. But this interpretation won't do because constantly in our Bibles, spiritual truths are breaking into physical realities. These things are completely related. So Hannah sings that those who are full will hire themselves out for bread. And before this chapter is over, Eli and his household, those who have made themselves wealthy and prosper and have become full based on wickedness, they will physically and literally beg for morsels of bread. What's true in the spiritual world has become manifest in the physical world. Hannah sings in verse 5 that the the barren, those who are barren now, will have seven children. Before the chapter is out, Hannah herself will have six biological, physical children. Hannah's going to sing in verse 8 that God raises the poor from the ash heap and he sits him among princes. And we are going to read in due time of a shepherd boy who becomes king. Spiritual truths constantly break into physical realities. Prayer exists because God delights to use spiritual means to break into and to change the physical created order. The diaconate exists, our mercy ministry, our deacons exist, because God loves to show his generous spiritual gospel in physical and tangible ways by being generous with people. You know, our church meets on Main Street, which means we get a lot of foot traffic, and we have people come in here every single week, maybe for the first time, interested to see who we are and what we're doing. And sometimes when people are here, pretty much almost every single Sunday, someone will ask somebody in this room for something, right? Maybe you've experienced this already at CPC. Can I get $5? Can I have a pair of pants? Can I get a bus ride to Atlanta? The answer to that is no. 
I've seen the main street shuffle during my week where somebody asks somebody for money and you begin to feel around and you've got money in your pocket but you say you don't have any on you as if you had a roll of bills in your breast pocket or something. You're like feeling around and making this show. The answer is no and it's not because we subscribe to interpretation number two. It's not because we walk out of here like quaint saints with our Bibles in our hands and somebody says, I need $5, and we say, I'm sorry, we're really just dedicated to the spiritual world and to the souls, and when it comes to the physical and the practical, we just can't help you. That's not why we say no to such person. We say no because we want to do so much more than $5. Columbia Presbyterian Church is not a pit stop that's going to get you to next afternoon. We are a transformative community. If you will come and you will set aside your ambition for $5 this afternoon and you will link arms with us and become a part of this community and we sit down together and make a plan, you are going to meet a heavenly father who cares about you, body and soul, joints and marrow, who has the hairs on your head numbered and the days of your life. And he is not finished with you until you look like his son, Jesus, who is a physical person, God made flesh. What a cheap thing to interrupt that entire transformative process and give you $5 and a ride to Atlanta and never see you again. Woe to the church that gets involved in that kind of ministry. Conversions, broken addictions, miraculous healings, the spirits indwelling, entertaining angels unawares, the sacraments, all of these things are signposts to tell you every single day of your life the spiritual is constantly breaking into the physical and changing this created order. So where does that leave us? These things aren't one and the same. They're not opposed to each other or happen in coincidence. What's the right way to think about this song and to interpret the world? Well, number three, I submit to you what I think is the correct interpretation, and that is spiritual truths are already but not yet physical realities. Spiritual truths are already, but not yet physical realities. We've already heard that language of the already and not yet, and we've already acknowledged and said that when it comes to speaking about these things, human language falters, right? We're so eager to nail this thing to the wall so we get an understanding of it, and that's right about where human language drops off, and we step into this mystery to say, much as Jesus said when he walked into a village in Galilee, this is what I can tell you. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, but it's not yet here. It's already being made manifest, but you have not seen this in every aspect of your life. It is here, but it is not yet here. So back to our example of Hannah's song of the fool becoming hungry and the hungry fool. We need to ask a couple of questions. Practically speaking, are you saying that in this physical life that we live, Will the prospering wicked, that is those who have full bellies right now, will they always end in poverty? That's interpretation number one, right? If you are wicked and you prosper, by the end of your life, you will meet your demise and you will end in poverty. Does that always happen in this life? The answer is absolutely not. There are wicked people who run from God, who abuse power, who take from others, who will live out their natural days and they will die of old age surrounded by family and wealth. That really, truly happens in our physical world. 
And so we ask the question, okay then, will the prospering wicked, those who are full now, never end in poverty except by coincidence? If you're saying the wicked um, don't get judged in this life, then can we expect that the wicked will always prosper to their end of their life unless by some coincidence? And the answer to that is also no. The God is free and able and has a very strong history of breaking into this created order and exacting judgment on the wicked in this life and in our presence. It happens. So we're saying God sometimes judges the wicked in this life, and sometimes he doesn't. And that puts us in this tension in interpretation number three. This stuff is already here, but it's not yet here. It's manifested over here in this person's life, but I don't see it happening in this person's life. That, that's a kind of tension a dissonance that we as Christians live in and we have to occupy, but that does not, hear me, that does not make for a limp stance on sin. Listen to the Lord's words in verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. We immediately want to ask, is this physical pieces? Do the wicked powers now that reign, will God go to work on them and they will be broken down? Or is this spiritual? Is God just going to wait until eternal punishment when he will judge them forever in hell? And my question is, does it really matter? God stands in fiery judgment. His wrath has been revealed against all who rebel against him and run from him and disobey from him. If that describes you right now, will you spend one more minute in opposition to him to learn if he will break into your life today or tomorrow or next year or he will wait to the end of your days to punish you forever? Who among us could find any comfort to learn that I, in this physical life, am going to dodge car accidents and cancer, and I will make it to a ripe old age of 80 or 90 or 100 years old, but then I will come face to face with my maker, and I will answer for my sins forever. Who would find comfort in that? The wrath of God has been revealed, his judgment stands right now in certain times and places and in certain people's lives. That judgment is already breaking in. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Run to him because what's true of his judgment breaking into this present order is also true of the hope of the gospel. That he stands ready even now to receive anyone from any background, who will run to him, whether you are trusting in Jesus today for the first time or you have walked with him for decades, the hope of the gospel is true for you. Look at verses 10 and 11. This gives me goosebumps. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Hannah sings this wonderful song. It comes to our, its climax. It's beautiful. And then the whole show's over. She packs her bags, and her and Elkanah begin this lonely walk home to Ramah. And Samuel the priest begins his daily tabernacle routine of serving Eli the priest. And everything all of a sudden just went from spiritual heights to physical, mundane depths. And we just kind of watch this mediocre scene play out. But I tell you, 
the damage has been done, spiritually speaking, because Hannah has prophetically spoken a spiritual truth into a physical reality. She has said, he will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. And my question to Anna is, how did you ever think to pray for a king? Israel has never, ever, ever in her entire history had a king. When Hannah lives, we are 350 years outside of the Exodus. The people of Israel have already left the land of Egypt and the land of slavery, and they have never once had a king. And when Hannah prays this, it will be another 50 years before Saul is anointed king. And another 25 years from that point before David is anointed king and David will be the one that's promised. You will always have a person on the throne. Your kingdom will last forever. And then we wait a millennia, a thousand years before Jesus himself assumes that throne and makes this kingdom last forever. And then we wait 2,000 years and counting to bring us up to this point until that will be in the future fully realized When the new heavens and the new earth are joined together, then what's spiritually true and what our physical realities will collide together where Christ, according to Ephesians 1, will unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The spiritual breaks into the physical. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, let us run to you in hope because you are making all things new. Even now, even in small ways, even if I see this down the street and in my neighbor's life and in this church, I am watching you bring a new heavens and a new earth in which all who have run to you in faith will participate. I plead with you, God, make us a people of hope. Make us a people who will bank our lives on the reality that you are bringing your kingdom to earth, that you will assume your throne, and what's true in heaven right now will be true of us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.